Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good morning. I hope you guys are all doing well today. We've got some, uh, some family business that I want to take care of to start with. Okay, so uh, put on your family business hat. If you're, if you're visiting with us, it, this won't take long, I promise. But it's something that, that we, uh, we need to do um, just as part of living life on rhythm here at River Bluff. And one of those rhythms is we, uh, we select uh, deacons from among our, our church membership just as kind of the Lord would lead us. Sometimes it's annually, sometimes it's not. And we have a process for doing that. Uh, that process involves going to the whole church and saying, how about uh, read the scriptures in 1 Timothy 3 and see if you can find some uh, folks among us who are living these scriptures out. And the church responds by presenting names and giving those names to our elders. And our elders go through a, a process of praying and seeking the Lord in that and vetting and having some conversations with those folks uh, that the church presented. And then if they kind of pass that journey with our elder team, um, we ask them if they would allow themselves to, uh, one, to names to be put forth, but m- most importantly, would they serve um, as a deacon at River Bluff. And deacons at River Bluff are assistants, if you would, to the elders to provide member care. And try to help connection happen. So that's kind of the, the work of deacons at, at River Bluff Church. And so this year we went to the body and you gave us some names. And some, some of the folks said, uh, I'm not ready to serve right now. Uh, others said, yes, I would let you put uh, my name forward. And so I want to present them to you today uh, to ask you to be in prayer over the next two weeks about this. To go to God's word in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, read the description of deacons that are given in the scriptures. And if you know one of these men who is not living their life out in accordance with that biblical qualification, I want you to contact one of our elders to let us know that because we're still kind of in that vetting process. These men know that. They know that this is all part of that journey. But let me introduce them to you now by picture. We've had their names out there uh, for about a week, but let me, let me give you a face with the names and uh, briefly tell you something about her. So the, uh, this, this first one is Dan Akers. Uh, Dan is uh, married to Cheryl, and he, all of these men serve, and Dan currently serves on our technology team. So he's back there now aiming a camera at my big head. And um, he's, uh, you'll see him scurrying around. He serves very diligently to help uh, us accomplish all that needs to happen in the technology realm uh, during our services. So that's Dan Akers. Art Horn, who is married to Margaret. Um, ask Art about the funny story about this picture. He'll tell you about it one day. Um, because there's a whole drama behind that picture up there, folks. But anyway, he's married to Margaret. Art and Margaret were very, very active, a part of our church. Years ago, God took them away to that, uh, uh, that heathenist place called Myrtle Beach area. They needed to, no, um, they, they, God moved them up there for a season, and now the Lord has brought them back. Um, Art currently serves as a Bible study teacher uh, uh, at, at 9.30 in one of our adult classes. And um, next we have Kevin Kugler. Uh, Kevin is married to Judy. 
Um, some of you may have uh, encountered Kevin and Judy recently when we were doing our Operation Christmas Child uh, ministry that God blessed immensely. We celebrated that a little bit last week. Uh, Kevin and, and Judy have directed that ministry and are involved in other things as well. Next we have Gary Owens. Uh, Gary is married to Molly and uh, their family. Uh, Gary serves, I, I think, on both our cars ministry. He's also one of our greeters, so a lot of times you'll see Gary uh, out serving at that table out there, welcoming first-time guests and making them feel welcome and helping them get connected. And then we have Drew Telfer. Uh, Drew uh, serves in our cars ministry. And if you're one of those people that bring your aluminum cans uh, to our church uh, and drop them in the bins or maybe on the, the loading dock in the back, Drew's the one on the that team that's kind of responsible for making sure those cans get sold, uh, turned into for cash, and then that money's used to buy parts for cars that you donate uh, that make their way to single moms and uh, as a way of blessing them. And so these are those that this church uh, put forward as the possibility to serve as deacons. And I'm just asking you to pray for them, with them, uh, and their families, and along with us as we seek God's will in this matter over the next two weeks. So I, I just want to take a moment and pray about this. Pray with me, if you would. Father God, we come in Jesus' name giving thanks for those that you call out to special acts of service. And I, I pray for these five, Lord, and their families, uh, God, who have agreed to allow themselves to be set apart for, for this work. Uh, we pray for your will, God, to, to come, to be known. And uh, if it's your will, Father, for these five to serve... Uh, in the coming days at River Bluff in this unique servant's role of, of deacons, uh, we just pray now, God, that you would make that very clear to this church. Uh, Father, if there's one who is walking outside of your will who's not, whose life currently doesn't line up with your biblical qualifications, we pray, God, that you would make that known to, to our elder team. And our heart would be to, God, bring them, restore them, if you would, to that level of service so that maybe one day later, uh, they can serve in that capacity. But, Father, we just want your, your will done in this matter. So guide us, uh, give us discernment, Holy Spirit, help us, and, and bless these men, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Family business over? Sort of, kind of? If you got your Bibles, if you would open them to uh, the Christmas story as found in Luke chapter 2. We're going to read a small portion of that. I think probably one of the most familiar portions of the Christmas story and uh, in, in Luke chapter 2. So if you'll make your way there, uh, I'm going to do the same thing. And we're going to read starting in verse 8. Starting in verse 8, Luke chapter 2. God's word says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were filled with great fear. Don't you miss the King James translation there? They were, you remember how afraid they were? They were so afraid they got sore. They were sore afraid is what King James said. Remember that? Uh, verse 10, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. This, this news is for, for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts 
praising God and saying, and here's what this chorus of angels said together, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he, speaking about God, with whom he is pleased. Again, this, this is the word of the Lord. Now, that is a portion of what I think of uh, as probably the most familiar section of Scripture uh, about the Christmas story. And it contains what I think of as probably the most prominent verse uh, related to the Christmas story. And, and in it is the most prominent phrase and, and maybe word of the Christmas story. And that's the, the phrase, peace on earth. That, that word peace. If you look back at, at verse 14, it says, they said, glory to God in the highest honor of peace. Peace. And that's what I want us to, to think about and talk about. Now, uh, interesting, it seems like everybody uh, during the Christmas season is kind of an expert uh, on peace. You know, everybody kind of goes for the peace Christmas card motif. Uh, everybody kind of knows about it. Everybody kind of makes a beeline for, for this passage and that verse and that word because Christmas is about peace on earth. It's an amazing thing, and everybody seems to know something about it. Now, interestingly, most modern English translations translate verse 14 something like we just read. Uh, New American Standard uses the same basic translation that the ESV did. NIV says, and on earth peace to men on whom God's favor rests. But do you remember how the King James translated it? Because there's, there's a difference here. Uh, King, King Jimmy translated it this way, or, or his translators did. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now that almost like it sounds like that peace was for everybody. That just everybody had access to, to that peace. And we'll talk about that translation issue a little more fully in a minute. But I want us to think a little more deeply about this piece because it leads to this great big question. What exactly is biblical peace on earth? Not, you know, Hallmark card peace on earth. Not, you know, what, uh, you know, some advertising agency puts out there as peace on earth. What is biblical peace on earth? What does the Bible mean when the angels, when it quotes the angels saying uh, this idea about peace? Now, we're talking about a peace that is in between the advents, in between Jesus' first coming at Christmas and his soon and imminent return, the promised return of Christ. We're talking about a peace in the context of the two advents. And this is important because if we miss this, it's the difference in living in a false peace because there's a false peace out there, a false kind of narrative about what this peace is. And if you live in that peace, more than likely what's going to happen is you're going to feel let down most of the time. Most of the time it will cause your hope to get e eroded if you're living in this false peace. So what I want us to think of is kind of the, the big idea for today is this, is that first Advent peace, this Christmas peace, is not second Advent peace. There are two different kinds of peace. One is actually the fulfillment uh, uh, of the first. See, the, the peace that God's Word tells us that came in at Christmas is not the same peace that's going to come when Jesus returns. It is a different kind of peace. There, there's some distinct differences, and these distinctions can make really all the difference in, in the world. And so we're going to drill down deep today 
into this biblical peace. What it, what it means when Jesus was born as a babe, what kind of peace d- did he come to bring? What kind of peace were the angels kind of proclaiming, shouting about? What exactly is it? Now, to help us get to what it is, I want to start with what it's not. Okay? So here's what Christmas peace is not. Christmas peace, first and foremost, is not, this Christmas peace on earth, is not a political peace. It's not this global peace where, where there's no war, you know. Now, there are, there are lots of Christians who would like to make a case that, you know, Christianity has made an incredible difference in the world. It's made the world a safer place, a better place to live, a healthier place, a more, a more, more peaceful place. There are others who would argue exactly different. We could start kind of a, a fight over that. But here's what both sides have to admit. In the last 2,000 years, since the coming, the first coming of Christ, there's been a lot of human blood shed. There have been incredible atrocities, wars between nations, wars within nations, uh, genocide between uh, people groups, um, ethnic cleansing that's happening right now. Horrible uh, atrocities that have taken place on planet Earth since the coming of Jesus, and especially in the last 200 years. Just horrible atrocities humans have perpetrated against humans. And therefore, if what the angels meant in Luke 2.14 was the cessation of war, then folks could look at that angel and said, dude, you were wrong. That, that didn't happen. If that's, if that's the de- definition that we're thinking that the angel was proclaiming, then, you know, Somebody could say, it hadn't worked yet. But that's not what the angel was proclaiming. That's not the kind of peace that the New Testament tells us uh, exists for Christ's followers between the advents, between these bookends, if, if you would. And I want us to kind of be, be clear about this. And I want to use so much of uh, Luke's recording of Jesus' words And the gospel story, uh, as Luke recorded it, so you can see there's this consistency in there. So I want to read from Luke chapter 21 for a moment. Um, These are words of Jesus, not baby Jesus now, but adult Jesus, okay? Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 21. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. Now, this is in the context of his disciples having asked him, what's it going to look like at the end of time, when the end of time is coming? So Jesus said, when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom uh, against kingdom. Jesus is saying here that as his followers, we should never be looking for a peace on this earth that's absent from war in between his comings. It's not going to happen. In fact, Jesus is saying here, it's probably going to get worse. It, this, is, this is going to grow worse. Jesus is, is just clearly saying, do not expect a full-blown political solution to peace. Do not expect a global kind of peace to come with, with, without war. Now, let me also quickly say, and we'll talk about this more at the end, Jesus does call his followers to be peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. You'll be called the, the children, the sons of God. And so there's this intent that this peace that the angel is proclaiming would, would lead us to pursue something like that. But what we're seeing here is Jesus saying, it's not ultimately going to come until I return. And so 
Here's, that's what Christmas peace is. It's not that. Second thing that Christmas peace is not. Christmas peace on earth is not going to be a perfect earthly peace. It's not going to be a perfect psychological peace or a, a complete full inner peace. You know, often people who try to point out that Christ's coming was not going to rid the world of war, what they'll, they'll try to proclaim, well, it's all about bringing this, you know, this spiritual peace, this peaceful, easy feeling, you know, that, that kind of thing that just kind of takes place just on the inside. They try to try to push that out there, that there's not going to be any conflict. When, when this peace sets in, there's not going to be any conflict between, you know, between me and somebody else. It's just going to be you know, a, a, a beautiful world. Everybody's going to get along, and I'm going to have this unflappable spirit no matter what comes along in this world. Well, let's look at Luke writing again at Jesus' teaching on this. Luke 12, Jesus says this, I came to cast fire on the earth. That don't sound peaceful. He goes on to say, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Is that what you think? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Friends, what Jesus is saying here is that because he came into this world and may have come into your life, it's going to create a disturbance, a, a, a great disturbance. It's not this life, because of his coming, is not always going to be tranquil. It's not always going to be serene because you're going to find people who are not going to like you because you follow me. You're going to find people who, because you speak truth and love to them, they're going to get angry with you. It's going to cause division and, and tension, and there's going to be conflict and disturbance. The way that you live your life distinctly in this broken world as a follower of Jesus will cause others to be angry, to be frustrated, to, to come against you. Now, again, let me be clear. The Bible does speak about our inner peace. We're going to unpack that a little more fully in a minute. But just because some of you I could see probably are, are you know, have been reminded already of Paul writing to the church at Philippi uh, about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Give me a minute. We'll, we'll get to that and talk about that. There is that kind of inner peace. But what, what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 21 and in Luke chapter 12 is that peace on earth that I came to bring that first Christmas, my first, my first coming, is going to cause things to be a, a, a bit messy. That peace on earth that the angel w was announcing, you know, will, will, will look different than many people try to create out in the world. And so there have been some because, you know, this complete inner peace hasn't shown up and this complete political global peace hasn't shown up. Some people have started teaching that, well, it's just symbolic peace. It's not just symbolic peace that this angel was speaking about, these angels were proclaiming that night. It is a real, concrete, measurable peace that came at Christmas, that was introduced into the world. It's what the angel was saying is real. It's for, for here. And now, it's not pie in the sky by and by, but it is a peace that you get. And did you hear where you get it? You don't get it in heaven when you get there. You get it on the earth. 
The only place that you can get this peace is while you are here on the earth. And it is a very unique peace. Go back to the earliest chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 1. Again, part of the Christmas story a little bit, kind of the pre-Christmas story. Uh, it's about Zacharias, the part we're going to read. Zacharias was the daddy of John the Baptist, and Zacharias had this divine encounter in the temple. And while he was in there, he was kind of struck mute because of unbelief in his life. But when he was finally able to speak again, he spoke a prophetic word over his son to his son. John the Baptist, this would be the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. And this is what Zacharias said to his son as a, as a baby. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. Look what, look what he's bringing. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So this knowledge is about the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, this tender mercy that God has, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of what? Peace. The peace that the angels are going to be announcing in chapter 2. That, that peace on earth. And it's something very specific that Zacharias was prophesying here. It's a peace related to forgiveness of sin. It's a peace related to the knowledge of salvation. Look back again at Luke chapter 2, verse 14. The angels cry, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, here on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. Now, remember I told you there was a... Uh, 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 this difference, this kind of big difference between King James translation and these modern translations. Now, it is pretty much accepted across the board by modern English scholars, much smarter than I in this, that the translations that are being used today are much more accurate because the translators back in the 1600s who gave us the King James Version didn't have access to some of the older manuscripts that we have today. And they translated a tense of a verb differently than it should have been translated. And that, that creates this kind of, uh, of distinction. So instead, uh, they, where they gave us peace, goodwill toward men, it should have been translated peace toward men to whom God has goodwill. Or to whom God's, on God's favor rests. What, what that verse is saying really is this. Prior to this Christmas peace on earth... There was ill will between God and man. Not goodwill. There was ill will that existed between God and man. Not goodwill. And then coming into this world, this peace, this unique peace that came at Christmas through Jesus was a way for people to access God's goodwill through, through his son, to overcome this ill will that was going on. This is, what, this is the kind of peace Zacharias was talking about. It's about salvation. It's about forgiveness of sin. This is, the, this is the peace that the angel was proclaiming. This is the kind of peace that Jesus proclaimed all through the Gospel of Luke. It's a different kind of peace than the earth, the world, thinks about peace. Christmas peace on earth is talking about a peace that can only exist between us and God on his terms, not on ours. It's a different kind of peace. But let me kind of illustrate it again. We started this morning uh, with a song. Um, you remember what song you sang first? 
It was a remake of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Um, a, a hymn, I think, it was one of, I think it was Wesley, Charles Wesley, one of the Wesley brothers, I think did that hymn. This was a remake of that hymn. But one of the lines in that hymn goes like this. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. See, this was the kind of peace that the angel was proclaiming. It was the peace that would reconcile us to God. Sinners like me, sinners like you. The peace, the only kind of peace that could reconcile us to God. And you can't receive it after you leave this planet. You can only receive it on the earth. It's peace on the earth. And it is a, a peace that is totally objective. It is a peace that is perfect. It is a peace that is absolute. There's, there's no other peace like it. Now, it leads to other kind of peace, some of that internal you know, peace that you can experience, that kind of external peace that you can make, but it all flows out of first having this kind of peace with God. It's absolute. It's complete. It's found in Christ alone. Now, Paul writes about this peace um, to churches, that, to people he was trying to disciple, to help them, first of all, come to know this peace in Christ, but secondly, to mature in it. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 10, Paul writes these words. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through, through faith, we have peace with God, this kind of peace that came at Christmas, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And so this peace had to do with reconciliation through Jesus' death on the cross. Paul writes to the church at Colossae. He says in Colossians chapter 1, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies. You were enemies in your mind, the way you thought, because your evil behavior, because of your sin, in other words. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. And notice how you're presented now if you're in Christ. You're without blemish. And you are free, free, free from any accusation otherwise. You are free from the accusation that you are at war with God, that you have hostility towards God anymore if you're, if you're in Christ. This is why Jesus came in bodily form. This is why Jesus came as a, as a baby, to reconcile us, to, to end the war with God. And so this peace is concrete. It's not symbolic. It's real. It's actual. It's, it's measurable. Because you can measure whether or not you're free from accusation. You can, re you can measure whether or not, you know, you're blemishless. You know, I look in a mirror and I see my face and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, look at those blemishes. You know? But when God looks at me through Christ, through that peace, that Christmas peace on earth, there, there's no blemishes anymore. And it's true the moment you receive that peace. And in that moment, you are as beautiful to God as you will be a billion years from now. A, a, a trillion, you're as beautiful to God right now as you're ever going to be. Because it's not subject to degrees. It's completed. It's perfect. And, and this is the reason why anybody who's actually thought about this realizes this about our faith. It is totally unique. There's not another religion on the planet that clarifies 
a, a relationship with God this way. Now, you might hate this piece. You might reject this piece. But if you really truly look at what it is, it has to take your breath away. It has to just kind of make you almost speechless, breath, breathless when you see the beauty of it, the, the wonder, the awe of it, because it's utterly different than anything else. It is a way to have perfect peace with God. And not only does no other religion, you know, communicate this, teach this, but even people who regularly attend church have a hard time grasping it. We, we just have a hard... See, most Christians think that our faith, that Christianity, that following Jesus is about, I just got to keep working harder to get good enough to get to heaven. You ain't going to do it. The only way you're going to get there is through peace that Jesus brings. You know, I, I, I've been doing ministry for quite a while. And I can't tell you the numbers of times I've heard people, regular attenders in church, say something like this. I sure hope that when I die, I've been good enough to get to heaven. Friends, if that is your standard, you're going to bust hell wide open. If that is your hope, that you're going to be good enough, if your hope isn't in this peace that can be made, that's concrete, that, that, that is real, if it's not in this Christmas peace on the earth, if it's not in the true gospel of Jesus, then you're, you're, you're toast. You're, you're toast because this is unique. Nothing, nothing else gets us there. And I love the way that Hark the Herald Angels sings, points this out. It's peace on earth. It's God's mercy that's mild. It's a beautiful mercy. It's a gentle mercy. And it's this reconciliation between God and sinners. You know, in gatherings all around the world leading up to Christmas, there are people will gather in places like this, in, in church buildings, um, some larger, some smaller, some under trees maybe. Um, but one of the things that will happen is you'll find in gatherings like this, there, there, there are two kinds of people. There are people who are trying to you know, get into peace through that political path or through you know, that perfect earthly healing inner path, you know, psychological kind of thing. Um, that's one group. Uh, there's another group, and they're, they're trying to, to, to kind of manufacture it through pursuit of religion. One group's kind of aiming at the, the subjective piece without going through the, the objective piece because they've never received that, that peace on earth. But then there are others, that second kind of person, who, who's received it but not living out of it fully. They're not experiencing that peace. They're not letting the objective peace give them life in the here and now it, it, that's that's effective so here's the deal either person when you boil down to it is not fully receiving the christmas gift of peace on the earth now here's the difference if you're that first person then what's happening right now is you are still at war with god there is still ill will between you, you and god because you haven't received the gift yet. You have to actively receive it. But 
uh, in order to actively receive it, you need, to, you, you, you need to know you need it. Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. Some of you um, who are follically challenged can maybe sleep on this. This may not make sense to you. Um, but if you have a full head of hair, okay, and somebody at Christmas gives you a box of Rogaine, now you may smile and take it and say thank you, but when you get home, what are you going to do with that box? Plunk. It's going to tr- you don't need it. It's not something that you need. So you're not going to receive it. The peace of God is like that. You've got to know you need it. And so the first step to receiving this peace on the earth so that you can have access to God's goodwill instead of having this animosity between you and God, the, the first step is coming to a place where you admit that you need it. You say, I know I need you, Jesus. I need this peace. I've, I've tried to find it through other means, but I, but I haven't. See, the Bible consistently tells us over and over again that without Jesus, what we have between us and God is hostility. Look at the way Romans chapter 8, verse 7 speaks of this. Paul writes, for the mind that is set on the flesh, that means the mind apart from Jesus, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Without Jesus, you can't even pursue this peace. You can't even begin to think and have access to this peace. That's one of the most incredible statements, I think, in the New Testament. It's without Jesus, our minds are, are blocked off or cut off from it. It, it, it. That's our natural condition. And so what we need is reconciliation. We need somebody to reconcile that difference, that distance, that war that we're in with God. See, we like to think that, um, that, my, that our problem is information. That that's the, my, my condition is I just need a little more information. And if I just had better, better information, you know, my problem is ignorance, let's say. Others of us like to think, you know, that you know, our, our primary problem, our, our, our main problem is I'm just a little bit indifferent, you know, and, and you think, what I, what I need is motivation. And friends, that's a lie. The human condition is that we're separated from God by sin, and that means we are at war with God. There is hostility, enmity, strife that exists between us and God apart from Jesus. That's the, the fallen human condition. You know, we, we like to think, well, what I need from God is just a little help, you know, maybe just a little guidance. Friends, what you need, you need a reconciliation. You need a redeemer to, to, to redeem you back. Pursuing, pursuing this peace that you, your heart longs for through any other means is just going to lead you to a point of hopeless despair. You've got to admit that you are at war with God. But, you know, none of us want to do that. We, all, of us, all of us want to kind of take the Tom T. Hall approach. Me and Jesus, we got a good thing going on. You know, that, that's how we like to think of ourselves, that we're different from everybody else. You know, that, that I've never had a hostile thought about God. Well, then you're calling the Bible a liar because this is what God's Word says, and this is what Christmas peace is all about, is undoing this hostility. That's why 
God gave the prophet Isaiah some incredible words. Most of us are familiar with these words in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Isaiah 53, verse 5, hundreds of years before Jesus came, tells us this, that the chastisement for our peace, the pain, the suffering that we deserve, that chastisement that Jesus took in that beating and on that cross, that chastisement was for our peace. What does the Bible say? It was upon him. It was put on him. And that we are healed by what? By his suffering. By his stripes. That's, that's how the path that our healing came from. Friends, peace on the earth, this Christmas peace, came through the path of Calvary. It's the only way that it could come to us. It's the only way our hostility between us and God could be overcome. And so Jesus did that. Jesus came to do that for us. And that impacts people in a couple of different ways. Some people think that, okay, I want to have this relationship with God. And then you start thinking somehow we get to hold God accountable. And when our life doesn't go the way that we, we want it to go, we try to make God accountable to us. We try to, you know, th think that, you know, he should have done this or he should have done that. And when he doesn't, our thoughts of God, because we've created him in our own image, our, our thoughts of God is he's too hard or too harsh. The other side of that is people, people will think that, you know, I heard this salvation thing. And I heard it's a free gift. And nothing's free in this world. That's too easy. You got, you got to give me something to work for, man. Give me something to work for. Let, let me work out this problem. Let me solve it. I can, I can, I can create this peace between us, God. I, we don't want, in our natural flesh, we don't want somebody to have to do it for us. Because we have to admit that we've been hostile to God, towards him. One way or the other. It's still a hostility against God. Because we've created a God that's not, that's not biblical. But when we come to that place that we realize, I want that peace. I want that kind of peace where there's no longer hostility between us. And you come to that place where you say, I realize now I need that. And I see it in Jesus. Well, the Bible says you have to deal with that on the earth. You have to deal with that in, in, in this life. You have to receive that gift. And you can do that. Where you're seated today, you can do that anywhere. You can just turn to Christ and say, Jesus, I confess that I am at war with God. I confess that my life, whether through an apathy or a hostility, both are hostility and enmity between me and you. And, and I just admit it. And I admit I need you to reconcile us. I need that from you, Jesus. And friends, everything else flows out of that. The promises from God in his word that this book is filled with flows out of that initial peace. The, uh, everything else flows. The blessings that God wants and has ready for you flows out of that initial peace. And you will find when you begin to live in that, that peace that you will actually be able to start experiencing it, that peace on earth. Peace experiencing then comes when I live out my Christmas peace. I can actually start experiencing this, this peace in an internal way and an external way. 
I can begin to experience that, that peace that passes all understanding. But here's how it comes. I have to grow in my fascination with the gospel. I have to grow in my fascination with that peace on the earth that the angel proclaimed. I have to focus on that if I want to see my life begin to experiencing that peace. It comes from focusing on the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read something that may look like a throwaway at first, but it is deep and it's rich. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It says, and now this gospel, this good news about peace on the earth that has come, this good news has been announced to you. It is all so wonderful, it's just so incredible, that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Uh, ESV translates that, that last phrase as, angels long to look into this gospel. Now, friends, the Bible says that there is a day that's coming when we, the saints of God, if you're in Christ, the saints of God, will one day judge the angels. I have no earthly idea what that means. I don't know what that courtroom's gonna look like. I ain't got a clue. But the Bible says it, so there's gonna be something like that. But until that time, you and I need to know that the angels are smarter than us, and they're wiser than us, and they're deeper than us, and they're closer to God than we currently, currently are. And the Bible says they are enamored they are passionate. They relentlessly just look. They never get tired of looking at the gospel. They never grow tired or weary looking at this kind of peace that has come on the earth. They, they are just excited about it. Here, here's something you will never hear an angel say. Well, I've been looking at this gospel thing, and I understand it now. I'm ready for something deeper. I want some meat. Give me something deeper. There's nothing deeper than the gospel. There's nothing. There's nothing more beautiful than what Jesus did to cease that war that existed between you and God. There is nothing. And it's only when you allow yourself, your mind, your, your life to just be baptized, if you would, over and over again, just immersed in the beauty of the gospel that the peace of that begins to find its way into your heart. And you do begin to have a little bit more of a, a peaceful, easy feeling in the midst of life's storms. Friends, if, if angels can't stop thinking about this, this peace on earth and mercy mild, God in the center of reconcile, we shouldn't either. We, we, should, we should just allow our minds to go back to it and back to it and back to it. And that's how we begin to experience this interchange, this, this joy that we're actually going to talk more about next Sunday. This joy that, that we can have during this, this Advent. I will grow in peace internally, but I can also grow to a place where I'm, I'm at work with God to bring peace on the earth. I can be a part of making peace. Here's the truth, that peacemaking will come when I'm living out of this Christmas peace. I become this person of peace. It flows, it flows out of me. See, that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 
told us that one of the ways that we will be described as the children of God is because we make peace. We're peacemakers. We will be identified as the sons of God, the children of God. We'll be identified as those on whom reconciliation has taken place. We will be known as those who are no longer at war with God. And it'll come out because we're involved in making peace. Looking at people who others would think, well, that's your enemy. And thinking, I'm going to make peace with that person. I'm going to live my life differently. Paul was so captured by the peace that comes through the gospel message that he wrote to the Romans in chapter 12. He says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone, with all. Let let that peace that you have, the reconciliation that you have, that hostility wiping out kind of peace flow through you. So that you, you, you have begin to, to reconcile with everyone. Paul goes on in chapter 14 of Romans. He says this, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Paul was so captured by the gospel of peace that he saw ways to apply it all throughout our lives. And the, the gospel of peace can, compels us to desire peace over All the earth for the gospel of peace to come. And it's why as peacemakers we have to work. We have to work for peace in places where there's the greatest violence. We have to step in to that. Many of you have been praying about a great violence that has taken place in our culture for over 50 years. And that's the violence of legalized murder of unborn children. We live in a nation where it is believed that it is an undeniable human right that you could take the life of an unborn child, protected by laws in our land. And we have been praying and working and giving to overcome that. And we know that our Supreme Court justices just heard oral arguments that may change that, hopefully, in our nation. And, and, and turn that on its heels and begin to, to make a, a, a difference in the land. And so we seek the Lord in this. And we need to beseech the Lord. We need to go to God in prayer and ask him to work on the hearts of those justices who are going to be studying and meditating and pondering what judgment to bring. And they're saying sometime this spring or summer. And we need to be praying because the Bible says that God has the ability to move the minds of leaders in this world, just like he does water. He has the ability to do it. So we need to, we need to go to the Lord and ask him to overturn that Roe v. Wade verdict, to, to overturn that. But as much as we're praying for that, we need to pray for the hearts of the people in our culture to be changed. That they would come to see that they are at war with God. That their lives would be transformed and changed. Friends, years ago... The abortion industry did not want to be associated as pro, you know, uh, pro-abortionists. They wanted to be known as pro-choice. And so they began trying to, to move things away from that. And so they started using phrases. Um, and one of their phrases was, abortion should be safe and legal and rare. That was kind of their mantra. Safe and legal and rare. That was about 20 years ago. Do you know what their mantra is now? 
I read this incredible article in Breakpoint this week. I've, I posted it this morning on Realm for you to go read it. It, just, it, was, it was one of those things that broke my heart and at the same time gave me hope. But there's a movement in our culture today called the Shout Your Abortion Movement. And you know what it's about? It's people who have had abortions publicly celebrating what they did. Publicly celebrating the taking of a life. Publicly celebrating it. In, in that article, they quoted one lady who said, it made me feel like God. That is a far cry from safe and legal and rare. It's a celebration of death. And God has called us to step into that world and speak truth to power as bearers of peace. But friends, oh my goodness, for some reason we get caught up in the fight and turned from peace. And we don't walk into that battle as covered by the peace of God, amazed at the peace that we have that we're no longer at war with God. We put that down and try to pick up the fight the way the world fights. One example. How many of you are familiar with the, the phrase that has been popularized in our culture recently, let's go Brandon? How many of you know what that's about? Okay. Friends, God's people should not participate in that. It is vile, it is undignified, and there is no respect in it for our leaders. Uh, recently, a large church in San Antonio, Texas, hosted a rally. And from the stage where Jesus is worshiped and praised, from that stage, the leaders led the crowd to chant that. Let's go, Brandon. If you look it up later today, if you don't know what it's about, if you Google it, you'll find out it's a, very, it's a mild way to communicate a very derogatory term about our president. It shows incredible lack of respect. It is not rooted in the gospel of peace at all. Listen to Paul's words, actually Peter's words, about how we should live as peacemakers when it comes to dealing with the powers that we're supposed to speak truth to. It says, for the Lord's sake... Respect all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. Respect everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God and respect the king. Friends, we are called to take peace into the most violent of places in our culture. But we are not to become that violence. We are to become bearers of that peace that no longer has hostility with God. And therefore, we don't need to have hostility towards the world because it repulses people from the gospel. It pushes people away from the gospel. We're called to be people who have been reconciled with God and then seek to reconcile the lost world to him. That's what we're called to be now, to walk in that way. Friends, there, there is... There's this coming day when Jesus is going to put everything right. There is this coming day. See, Jesus hates injustice. Jesus hates poverty. Jesus hates sickness. He hates cancer. He hates disease. He hates death. And Jesus is coming back to put an end to all of that. And we need to be people who are praying for his kingdom to come. 
We need to pray for that. And Jesus described what his kingdom coming looks like. He described it when John the Baptist, who was in prison, sent a messenger to say, how do we know that you are this promised one of peace? How do we know that you are Messiah? And Jesus answered and said this, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Friends, that's, that's peace coming to the world through the peacemakers who have been made right with God, who have received the Christmas peace on earth. We're called to live that out, first of all and foremost, by being saturated in the beauty and the power and the, object, the objectivity of the gospel, the, uh, the, the purity of it, the perfection of it. We're, we're to give our minds over to looking into that. And then we're to let it flow throughout our lives so that we can be that bearers of peace who are living out mercy that's mild because we know that we are sinners that have been reconciled with God through Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to start in this moment. Those of us who have found that that ill will between us and God was abolished when we chose you, when we received you, when we accepted that gift of peace that you came to bring. That there is no longer hostility between us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you received our chastisement on your body. Thank you that through your stripes, that hostility was healed. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray for ourselves now that when we get distracted, maybe by suffering or indifference or whatever, when we are distracted as your people from the gospel, bring us back. Bring us back and turn our focus once again on the beauty of that peace on earth. Bring us back so that we can live out experiencing the depth of the beauty of that peace. Bring us back so we can proclaim that peace and take it into the darkest and most violent places in our earth to be bearers of that peace, bearers of that reconciliation that you want to bring to everyone. That's the good news that's for everyone. It's available. And Father, if there's somebody here today who has never received that reconciling peace through Jesus, maybe right now you just want to pray that prayer. Jesus, I admit that I've been at war with God and I surrender. I just surrender it all. I give my life to you now. I need you, God, to make that peace for me that I can't make on my own. Father, we all come again desiring that our hearts would be focused, our minds would be renewed by that peace. And so we come back repenting again today where we've given ourselves over to worldly pursuits where we've taken our eyes off the prize of peace on the earth that is Jesus. 
And we choose again this day to recommit ourselves to following him passionately and relentlessly and keeping the gospel present before our minds and before one another. So we come, Jesus, now to celebrate, to celebrate that peace on the earth that we have in you. We adore you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.